John chapter 20. In our series through John, we are now at Jesus' resurrection. We've already seen how Jesus first appeared unto Mary Magdalene while she was weeping at the sepulcher. And there's a lot of moving pieces when you examine all four gospel accounts on this day. It can be a tad confusing if you're not careful studying it. There's actually people coming and going from the sepulcher. We know from Matthew's account that Jesus also appeared unto the other two ladies who had been at the sepulcher as well. And I say the other two ladies because when we read that, it makes it sound like all the ladies present were joyful when they were told by the angel that Jesus had resurrected. But we know that when Mary first looked into the tomb, she was bewildered and took off running for the disciples. So there's, there's people coming and going, I guess is what I'm trying to say. She takes off to tell Peter and John. The other two women are still there. They see the angel, get a word from the angel on what to do. They start heading back. Jesus meets them. The other three are running back to the sepulcher. It's a, it's a whole other study in of itself, amen? And I'm not trying to complicate things. I'm just trying to say there's a lot going on here this day. And so uh, the angel had told those ladies Jesus was alive, and he says, um, he says, go and tell the disciples. And they went with great joy. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And so they, they go and tell the disciples how they had seen the resurrected Lord. But Luke 24, 11 tells us that their words seemed unto them as idle tales. They believed them not. The last three weeks in this series has all taken place on resurrection morning. And we're going to pick up this account today on the same resurrection day. It'll now be the evening time beginning in verse 19. Would you look with me please? Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and they and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Amen. The enemies of Christ had remembered the words of Jesus while he was yet alive, that after three days he would rise again. And so they had the tomb sealed. They had guards placed outside of the tomb in order to keep 
Jesus' body in. We find Jesus' followers three days later on Resurrection Day, they're still in unbelief. They've heard the testimony of the women, they don't believe them. And how is it that the enemies of Christ can remember, remember His words beforehand, but Jesus' own followers can't remember what Jesus had said after the fact? Resurrection's not on their mind, but we see they are gathered together behind shut doors out of fear of the religious Jews. And this meaning isn't simply that they were raised right and they closed the door behind them to keep the air conditioner in, or the heat in up here, I guess. But it means that they had gone behind closed doors with the intent of not being found. They're trying to keep people out. They are in fear. And what a contrast we see here. Jesus has come forth out of the grave alive while the religious Jews tried to keep Him shut in. Meanwhile, here we find Jesus' disciples and they have shut themselves in out of fear. You see the contrast here? And it got me to wondering, how often do we find ourselves acting in direct opposition to what God is up to? We get out of step with the Lord, it seems like, more often than we should. Jesus has come forth, but they are closed up. We seem to miss what is going on and how we should be responding. We pray when we should be going. We're going when we should be praying. In Exodus 14, 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speaking to the children of Israel, that they go forward? What you praying for? Get busy. Joshua 7.10, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? What are you doing praying? Get up. You see how we get out of line with God. We mourn when we should rejoice. We rejoice when we should be mourning. We speak when we should be hearing. And we are quiet when we should be speaking up. And we so often find ourselves responding opposite of how we should. We feast when we should be fasting. When times get chaotic, we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the very time we ought to find ourselves even more faithful. We withdraw when we should draw near. And how is it that we get so out of step with God? And when we get away from God's Word, we miss the mind and the heart of God during our circumstances. And we allow our circumstances to distract us from getting God's Word, from recalling God. Jesus said unto the eleven remaining disciples in Matthew 26, 31 and 32, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And then the angel at the empty tomb told the women in Matthew 28, 7, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Then as the women were on their way to tell the disciples, Jesus appeared unto them and said in Matthew 28, 10, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. But where are they at? They're in Jerusalem. 
Why didn't they get up and go to Galilee? Isn't that what the Lord said? Tell my disciples, go to Galilee. That's where you're going to see me. But they don't go to Galilee. What was the reason why they didn't? Was it not because they didn't remember the words that Jesus spoke unto them before He was crucified? You see, they've forgotten what Jesus has said because their circumstances has them all flustered. And that's what we do in life. We go through hard times and we go through trials and we forget what it is God has already told us. They also refused to believe the testimony of the women as well. And because they did not have God's Word at the ready, they're remaining holed up in Jerusalem in fear. And according to our text, they're in Jerusalem for at least another week afterwards. Verse 26 says, and after eight days. They're still in Jerusalem. It would seem they should have been heading to Galilee upon hearing the command of Jesus. Now, our Lord is merciful nonetheless, and He appears to them while they are still in Jerusalem, while they are remaining there in fear. It's not like they're there out of excitement. He's still merciful to them, even though they're there in fear. And according to our text, like I said, they're in Jerusalem for at least a week afterwards, and, uh, and yet God is still good to them in their slow obedience. And listen, He's still going to appear to them in Galilee. He's still going to keep His word. That's still going to happen. But they're just slow in what Jesus has told them to do. And I'm just simply highlighting, we get out of step with God. And then we wonder why there's issues and why there's problems. Their circumstances are clouding God's Word. And therefore, they are not yet in step with Christ. And can't we be guilty of making the same mistakes in our life? We allow our trials to keep us from recalling God's Word to our heart and mind. I just want to tell you, don't allow your circumstances to cause you to be out of step with the Lord. You know, God is the same no matter our circumstances. Therefore, because God is the same and our circumstances are ever-changing, we need an unchangeable word from an unchangeable God, which we have in His Bible. We just need to read it, heed it, believe it, all those things. But we've got to be in the Word of God. So we must be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because what did James warn if we were... Hearers only. He said, if all you do is hear the Word, and you're not a doer of the Word, you're going to deceive your own self. Isn't that what he said? Be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And guess what? They're deceived here. They've got their own theories of what's going on. They've got their own own ideas of what God may be up to. For three and a half years, they were hearers of the Word. But in this moment of their crisis... They are not being doers of the Word. They don't know what's going on. Maybe you're out of step with the Lord today. And as a result, you have some fear as well. Then go back to the Word of God and remember what it is that God has already promised you. And have faith in that and not fear. So here they are. They're out of step with what the Lord is doing. They're in fear. They are faithless. They are in hiding. But take note of how the Lord is merciful to them in the last half of verse 19. Look who shows up. Then came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. 
I'll give you just a short detour here, a really quick preaching point. But shouldn't we desire for the Lord to show up when we're gathered together? You don't need to hear from me per se. You want to hear from God. You want to hear from the Lord through the songs and the preaching. That's what we should desire when we're here. But how can we see this happen? Jesus said in Matthew 18, 24, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And somehow we have taken that verse to mean anytime there are two or three Christians gathered together, Jesus is going to be there. That's not what it says. It says when you are gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst. You see, we're not gathering together in our own name. I hope we're not. We're not gathering together for our own pursuits and our own purposes. But if we are here to offer the sacrifice of praise to our God through Christ's name, then the Holy Ghost will show up and be in our midst. And it's easy to tell when we're gathered together in the right spirit in Christ's name. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And you can ask any song leader and you can ask any, any preacher. And they'll tell you that it's not difficult to identify when there's no liberty. So I hope you're praying for the Holy Ghost presence in all of our services. Because without Him, this is all in vain. Now, how merciful is our Lord being to His disciples here? They didn't believe His Word. They didn't believe His witnesses. But Jesus is merciful in still showing up to them. And I'm glad there are times that the Lord will show up in spite of me. That He will make His way past our shut doors, past our lack of faith, past our fear, and be merciful and still show up to us nonetheless. I don't doubt the disciples' love for our Lord. They forsook all. That's more than most of us can say. I don't doubt their love for the Lord. And though there may have been a part of them that was sitting there thinking, I wish I could believe the women's testimony. They wanted to believe it was true. You understand that at this point, about the only thing that's going to make them believe is if Jesus shows up. And here He is. Amen. And notice how Jesus counters their fear. He says unto them, Peace be unto you. And in verse 20, He shows them His hands and His side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And aren't you glad we have a living Lord who in spite of our unbelief will still be merciful to make His presence known to us in the midst of our trials and is able to come and speak peace into our fears. Isaiah 50 and verse 4 is the Messiah speaking. And He says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. The Lord knows what we need to hear, when we need to hear it, and how we need to hear it. He knows what the weary need. And He will speak words in just the right season for you. But there is a catch. I knew it. I knew there was a catch to this Christian life. Yep. You have to put yourself in the right position to hear Him. You have to be faithful to go to the Word of God daily. You have to be faithful when the church doors are open and there's preaching. You have to be faithful. For whatever reason, Thomas isn't present this, this day, this evening. 
He doesn't get to see the first appearing of Jesus to the disciples. And in His absence of forsaking the assembly, He goes on doubting the Lord's resurrection. I know this isn't always the best motivator, but there's been many times that I have showed up in church simply because I didn't want to miss something that may happen. Now I have to be here, amen? I mean, it is what it is. But I can remember, I just don't want to miss something great that might happen. The Lord might show up. Well, that's a sermon probably for next week. We'll save Thomas for then. I can tell you after 20 years of preaching, I shouldn't be amazed anymore. But I can't tell you how often someone has come to me with questions or an issue in their life that I just preached on. But they weren't there to hear it. I'm not rebuking. I'm just saying. If you stay faithful, God will speak to you through the preaching of His Word. But you got to be in attendance. Amen. So the Lord is being very merciful. He shows up and speaks peace unto them. And I couldn't help but think that had our Lord been like some of our independent Baptist brethren, He would have stormed in and lambasted them immediately upon arrival. You bunch of good-for-nothing disciples. How can you not remember what I've told you for the last three and a half years? I'm going to get me a new group of disciples because you guys just don't get it. I'm out of here. But our Lord doesn't do that, amen? He will get around to upbraiding them. One of the gospel accounts says He does upbraid them. I think it's Mark. For their unbelief and hardness of heart and not believing the women's testimony. But right now is not the time. And so he says, peace be unto you. And he immediately says it again in verse 21. I think this is going beyond just a customary greeting here. I think he's trying to get them to understand something. And I just want to tell you, there's a time to speak peace, and there's a time to upbraid. But we need discernment, don't we? We need discernment. I don't know about you, but there have been many times I've said things I wish I wouldn't have said at all. Am I the only one? You bunch of good-for-nothing Baptists? Give me another church that knows. <laughs> amen. I worked hard on that joke. I'm just kidding. It just came to my mind. I'm not up here doing material. Amen. And so, but there is a time to speak peace. There's a time to upbraid. We have to have discernment on, what, on, on how to know what to speak when. Now, I believe this is a learned behavior. At least it is for me. I think some of you just may be gifted. But when in doubt, close your mouth. Our flesh naturally wants to rail against what we obviously see as an issue in somebody else's life. But we have to learn to take a deep breath and guard our mouth. Jesus could have easily busted in there and began to explain to them in a very harsh way what was lacking in their faith, but He doesn't do that yet. And in the heat of someone's crisis, it is not the time to rail on them about whatever sin you think they have in their life. Amen. That's not the time to go, oh, you know what your problem is, bless God, you're prideful. I'll tell you what your problem is. That's not the time when they're going through the middle of this crisis. It's a time to speak peace. I think sometimes we've got a beam 
sticking out of our eye. And we're trying to pick a speck out of somebody else's eye. We just need to speak peace. How many have been wounded in churches from other Christians because when what they really needed was someone to come and speak peace into their fears, but instead they got upbraided? Sadly, many have been upbraided when it was a time they needed to hear peace. And this applies across all relationships. How many marriages head for divorce because there is an upbraiding spirit instead of words of peace? How many children are living in rebellion because instead of the peace they so desperately needed to hear in their moment of crisis, all they got was upbraiding? On the other hand, how many have refused to reconcile with one who is offering peace because they carry with them an upbraiding attitude all the time? The truth is, many relationships are out of balance and many are out of church today because they needed to hear peace. But they were upbraided. Listen, none of us have arrived. We all battle the flesh. We all have issues and sin. You know, it might be good just to come alongside somebody and put your arm around them and be an encouragement. Just say, peace unto you. Peace be unto you. Let the Holy Spirit be the upbraider. I understand with children there's a time for that. Proverbs 12, 18, There is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 15, 2, The tongue of the wise useth, useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Proverbs 15, 23, A word spoken in due season, how good is it? Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. If there's an issue with somebody else, may I recommend you sweetly speak peace to them before you just start upbraiding. Find out what's going on first. And you may discover that there are other factors going on in their life which go much deeper and much further reaching than just your hurt feelings. You may only be seeing the manifestation of a much bigger issue that's going on in their life. And don't misunderstand me. As I said earlier, there is a time for upbraiding. Jesus will do so later on. But we have to learn some discernment. Most of the times, we'd be better off just to speak peace. Well, I'm just glad you're here. So many things I could say right there. And so Jesus, He doesn't show up with guns blazing, but twice He speaks peace in the midst of their fears. And after eight days in verse 26, He'll once again say, Peace be unto you. I think Jesus is concerned about their well-being, don't you? On the night Jesus was betrayed, He told His eleven disciples, in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I don't want you to miss this point. But as these disciples are going through this circumstance, as they are going through this chaotic time, they are without peace because they are without the Word. 
Don't miss that. You cannot separate the two. Their hearts are troubled and they are afraid because they don't have the Word. We have peace by knowing Jesus who is the Word of God. And God's peace cannot be separated from God's Word. You're not going to have one without the other. Boy, that's a lot of emphasis on God's Word. Yeah. Jesus said, I've magnified my Word above my name. Or God said that in the Psalms. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. It does not mean that nobody's going to get upset. That's not what offended means. That's how we use it today. But great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing will trip them up. Nothing will cause them to stumble. When you're in the Word of God, you'll have great peace. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. It's from the Word of God that we get peace added to us. The world which these disciples are standing in fear of can never give them the peace that they need. Their peace must come from a higher power. It must come from the Lord and His words. And so Jesus shows up and He speaks unto them, Peace be unto you. In Psalm 85, verses 8 through 11, the Bible says, I will hear what the Lord, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. And isn't that what we find here in our text? Jesus, who is the truth, has sprung out of the earth. And He speaks unto His people. He offers them mercy and truth, righteousness and peace. And Jesus, who is the truth, is being very merciful to His disciples here. And Jesus, who is their righteousness, is offering peace. They have met together. They have kissed each other. This is a special kind of peace that I'm talking about this morning. This is the kind of peace that can only come from the Lord. Colossians 1.20 tells us that Christ made peace through the blood of His cross. He made peace. This is a peace that didn't exist except that God made it. He said, I have made peace through the blood of of my cross. And through His resurrection, He's offering that peace to whosoever will take it. This is a peace that passes all understanding. Do you hear me this morning? This is a peace that confounds the world. How can you have peace when you receive the diagnosis that you have cancer? How can you have peace when there is death of a loved one in Christ? Those without Christ cannot understand it because this kind of peace that I'm talking about only comes from the Prince of Peace. So if you're going through something which is causing you to fear, seek the Lord and He will bring peace into the midst of your storm. He'll either come walking upon your storm showing you that He's more powerful than your storm or He may even stand up and rebuke the storm by saying... Peace, be still. Either way, don't miss this. Jesus wants to be there with you through your storm. 
We all have them. We all have circumstances. We all have those phone calls we don't want to get. What separates people? It's the peace of God. I know there are many issues going on within our flock. If we could pull the curtain back this morning, you'd be amazed. Some are going through some really deep waters. Some are battling sin. Some are going through family problems. Some are battling health issues. There's all kind of tribulations that are taking place. And only Jesus can bring peace to your fears. John 16.33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. To those of you who are going through a difficult season right now, you don't have to shut yourself in behind closed doors. You don't have to push people out. But you can have Jesus come in your midst and speak peace unto you. And you ought to find some of these folks that have been through some hard times and God got them through it. And hear their testimonies. And those of you that have been through it, you ought to be giving those testimonies. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Turn to His Word. Talk with Him. Walk with Him. He rose again to make peace for you. Now take advantage of it. Take advantage of it? Yes. That's why He bled and died and rose again. Not so you would just go on in this misery. Not so you would just keep having fear and no faith. But that when those circumstances come, when the Lord is trying to conform you into the image of His Son, you'll realize that His peace is greater than anything that can come against you. Take advantage of it. That's what He wants you to do. Let Jesus turn your fear into faith. Man, it hurts to see people go through those hard times. But how encouraging it is when you get to hear that I'm trusting God through it all. Come what may, my Lord's in control and I'm not going to fear what man can do to me. I don't know what you're going through this morning, not all of you. Let Jesus be your peace. Perhaps there's someone here today and you're fearful of dying. You don't have peace about your eternal destination. I need to be honest with you and tell you that if you have no peace about your salvation, then you ought to be in fear. That would be the proper thing for a pastor to tell you because Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But I've got good news for you today. Jesus also bled for you and rose for you to make peace between you and God. Hallelujah. Can you remember those of you who are saved when you were at enmity with God? Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And we're talking about the resurrection time here. The very next verse in Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God today. Do you believe that? You can have peace with God. You can know that you'll be with Him for all eternity. You have to believe you're a sinner. That's why Jesus was delivered for your offenses. You have to understand that He offered Himself as your perfect sacrifice. 
that He took your sin upon Himself. And then have faith that Jesus was raised again for your justification. Take advantage of it. That's why He died. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. And one day He's coming, O glorious day. If you'll believe by faith, you can have peace with God. And the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all your sin. Is there anybody here today that needs peace with God? Not just in death, but in life. Maybe you're out of step with God today. You're going through a difficult time and you're going when you ought to be coming and you're praying when you ought to be going and all those things. And you're just out of step with God. You need to get the Word of God into your heart and into your mind and let Jesus show up and speak peace to you. He can turn your fear into faith and you can experience a peace that you've never experienced before. Let's pray.